0: Jack Van Impe is a TV evangelist based here in Michigan, pictured there with his wife, Rexella. Uh, he's actually up in Troy, where the area that I'm, where I grew up. Jack is uh, well-known for two things, at least two things. One is having memorized the entire New Testament in the King James Version of the Bible. And the second is his teaching and preaching on Bible prophecy. When people think of Jack Van Impe, if they know anything about him. Those are one of those two things, if not both of them, are things that come to mind. Back in 1974, Van Impe produced an album of his preaching. That's right, he committed it to vinyl, if you can believe that. He didn't write a book or make a cassette tape. He actually pressed a vinyl record of his preaching called The Coming War with Russia. Remember, this was 1974. And in this teaching, which is available on YouTube, of all places, Van Ippi predicted the soon coming of Jesus Christ based on his interpretation of Ezekiel 38 and 39. He believed because of events that were happening in the Middle East, and if you were alive in the 70s or shortly after the 70s, you remember there was a lot of turmoil in the Middle East. There was a lot of people who were really scared about things that were happening in the Middle East. There were, there were problems getting oil and gas, and Americans had to line up in long gas lines because of things that were happening in the Middle East. And so because of these things, Van Ippi, um tried to study Ezekiel um, 38 and 39 and compare it with world events. And in so doing, he believed that everything was lining up according to prophecy and that soon Christ would return. And then. Russia would invade the Middle East and the prophecies of the Bible about the future that have yet to be fulfilled would soon happen. This is what he predicted in 1974. Here we are more than 40 years later, and the coming war with Russia still hasn't happened yet, nor has Christ returned. Now, I bring this up, and this was only one of many, many examples I could have brought up. But I bring this up to illustrate an important truth, one that Jesus encountered in His own ministry here in our passage. And the truth is this, that people want to know what God is doing in this world. Have you ever asked yourself, what in the world is God doing? I think all of us have to some degree or other. Even non-Christians are curious about what the Scriptures teach about prophecy and there is an entire almost cottage industry. I don't know if it's as popular now as it used to be in the 70s and 80s when people were much more fearful about nuclear weapons and unrest in the Middle East. But there was, there's, there's a lot of people who are really, really interested in Bible prophecy. The left-behind series of books and the popularity of those illustrate again how um, eager people are to learn and find out what the Bible says about coming And current future events. And so people are interested in what God is doing in this world. And that's the situation that Jesus encountered in our passage for this morning in Luke chapter 21. Just to reset the context for you, we've been working our way through the gospel according to Luke. And we've come here to the very closing events in these chapters And in just a a few chapters before, Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem for the final week of His human life on this earth. And His entry into the city of Jerusalem was what we call the triumphal entry. It was where Christ was received and lauded as the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And there was all kinds of messianic uh, hope and hype about the coming of Christ and the, the expectation was that He would set up His kingdom in Israel and kick out the Romans, and, and a golden age for Israel was right on the doorstep. And yet Jesus didn't actually do those things. In fact, when He entered Jerusalem, he, he bemoaned the unbelief in the city and foretold of coming destruction for the city and its people. And He cautioned the disciples that the kingdom of God was not going to appear right away. During these days after the triumphal entry of Jesus into the Jerusalem, you'll remember that he went to the temple and he cleansed the temple of those who were using it to make money for themselves. And then he began teaching there. Day after day, he began teaching God's word to people and amassing large crowds of people who were listening to him. And at the end of this chapter, we won't look at it, but at the end of this chapter, the Bible tells us that Jesus was teaching in the temple during the day, and at night he was retreating to the Mount of Olives, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem, to sleep. And in our passage for this morning in Luke chapter 21, verse 5, Jesus and the disciples are leaving the temple. Jesus is done teaching for the day. They are leaving the temple and they are headed out to wherever they were staying on the Mount of Olives. And one of the disciples remarks about the beauty of the temple around them. Look at, with me at verse 5 of Luke chapter 21. It says, some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. And I could spend a lot of time here talking about the temple from the time Solomon founded it to the various times it was, it was destroyed and rebuilt. Herod had been rebuilding the temple and he was presenting it to the people of God, the, the, Israel, the people of Israel as a gift so that they would hopefully tolerate him better as a leader. And so the disciples and really all the Jewish people were very impressed with the temple as it was coming together and they point out to Jesus how beautiful it is and how people had given things to make it more beautiful and more functional for Israel's worship. And in response to what they say, Jesus is wholly unimpressed. He responds to this uh, being pointed out, the beauty of the temple at the end of verse 5 by saying this, but Jesus said, as for what you see here, this Gorgeous building that we've been teaching in and worshiping in. As for what you see here, verse 6, Jesus said, The time will come when not one stone will be left on another. And then, just so that nobody missed the point, he went on to say this Every one of them will be thrown down. What he's describing here is the complete destruction of the temple. Now, Jesus spoke in what's called hyperbole, which is dramatic overstatement. And so I don't think he was literally saying every single stone will be thrown down. He's trying to emphasize to the people, no matter how beautiful you think the temple is, no matter how important it is to our worship, please understand he is teaching them, it is going to be destroyed. And this temple, as you know it, will not exist at some point in the future. Now, Jesus had already... um, told and already talked about the fact that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And so he's sort of bringing that up again. The destruction of the temple was just one aspect of a larger destruction that was going to come to the entire city of Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, the most important place to all the people of God. And so the disciples are curious about this. They've heard Jesus talk about it before, and they want some more details. They want to understand what God's Will is for the future. They want to know what God is doing in the world. And so they ask Jesus. Beginning in verse 7, Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? A lot has changed since the days when Jesus walked on this earth, but one thing hasn't changed, and that is people still want to know what God is doing in the world. One thing they want to know is when. When is God going to act in the world? That's what the disciples are asking in these verses. In verse 7, when it says, Teacher, when will these things happen? You see that they are asking for some timing. They want to know how many years left they have to worship in the temple and come to Jerusalem. Is this going to happen soon? Or is there going to be a period of time before it happens? The same is true today. We're not so worried about the destruction of Jerusalem because that already happened. But we still want to know the timing of God's will. The things that people are concerned about in terms of biblical prophecy are usually about when. When will Jesus come? Or when will some of the events that are predicted in the Bible that are horrific in their description, when are they going to happen? This is something the people of god want to know but they want to know something else too not only do they want to know when god is going to act in this world but we want to know what signs to look for before god's judgment falls at the end of verse 7 it says and what will be the sign that they are about to take place remember jesus has been talking about here the destruction of the temple which indicates the destruction of the entirety of jerusalem jesus has already said and he's going to say it again. That this destruction is an act of God's judgment against Israel and against Jerusalem. These are fearful things for the people of God. And so they want to know when it's going to happen. And more importantly, they want to know what to look for before it happens so that they're not around to experience it. And the same is true today. People would like to know the signs of God's judgment coming in this world so that hopefully they can prepare in advance and hopefully avoid it. What follows in this passage, which we'll cover both today and we'll cover more of it next time, is what is called the Olivet Discourse. A more um, thorough description of it or recording of it is found in Matthew's Gospel than we find here in Luke. But in this section of Scripture called the Olivet Discourse... Jesus begins to explain the answers to these questions. He begins to talk about what God's plan is for the present and for the future. These are one of the key passages we go to when we try to put together what is called eschatology, that is, our understanding of end times events according to the Scriptures. And so in this passage, in response to the desire that people have to know what God is doing in this world, we're going to see Jesus outlining for us what God is doing in this world. That's what verses 8 through 24, and actually beyond that, are about. Jesus is outlining for us what God is doing in this world. And I say outline because he doesn't go point by point and say, well, first on this day, this is going to happen. Jesus gives us a more general description about what things are going to happen and how we should respond to them now when jesus gave this prophecy when he gave this teaching please understand this everything he teaches in this passage was future to himself and his disciples everything that we read today and next sunday everything that we understand in this passage was all in the future for jesus and for the disciples but that isn't, the tr- that isn't true anymore. Some of what we're going to read about happened in the past for us. All right? We can actually go to dates in history when some of the things Jesus prophesies actually took place. And in fact, in today's message, we're going to talk about the present and the past. All right. So first, we're gonna, Jesus is going to lay down some important instructions that apply to us in the present. Then He's going to talk about What was future to them, but past to us, the fall of Jerusalem. All right? Next Sunday, we're going to get into the stuff that still lies in the future. Okay, so Jesus' prophecy here is all about the future for the people who originally heard it. We're going to look today at the part that happened in the past and the part that applies to us in the present. Next Sunday, we'll come to the part that is in the future. And so what does Jesus say when he is asked? When will these things happen and what will be the sign of these things? Well, Jesus goes into an outline of what disciples should expect that God is doing in this world. And the first thing he tells us is, he tells his disciples and us not to fall for fake news. Before Jesus gets into any of the details about what's going to happen, he says, be careful because there's going to be a lot of fake news out there That could fake you out. Look with me at verse 8. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming, I am he. And the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom." There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven. But notice verse 12. But before all this, now follow the chronology here. When Jesus is asked about the future he tells us generally what we shouldn't do before he gets into the details, all right? So he says, beware. Then in verse 12, he says, before all this, before all this stuff I just described happens, this is when Jerusalem's gonna fall. So Jesus talks about, actually, the first thing he talks about is what pertains to us today, the current state of what God is doing in this world. And his commands to us is, don't fall for fake news. Jesus says, there are gonna be many deceptive teachings and signs out there. And they're going to be very convincing. So just set in your heart and your mind right now that you're not going to fall for fake news. And he describes two types of fake news that we must not fall for. The first one is religious fake news. Don't fall for religious fake news. Now, I say here we are susceptible to religious fake news, and here's why. The disciples eagerly wanted Jesus to set up his kingdom They wanted these things to happen. If this is what had to happen for Jesus to become king and set up his kingdom, they were good for it. Let's do it. Let's have it happen, Jesus. Let's go. Okay? And so are we. Like, we want to live in eternity with Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus Christ. We want the hope that, that is presented in Scripture of an eternity in a perfect kingdom ruled by a perfect king, our Lord Jesus Christ. We want that to happen. And so that means we're susceptible to false messages that say it's going to happen next year or it's going to happen in 2000 or whatever. We as God's people are susceptible to fake news, religiously speaking. In other words, what I'm saying is because we want God's kingdom to come, that makes us open to false messages about God. And Jesus warned us not to fall for them. Look at verse 8. Jesus said, watch out that you are not deceived. That's the point. And then he described what's going to happen. For many will come in my name claiming I am he. Throughout human history from the time of Christ, people have come along saying that they are the the person who has returned as Jesus Christ. And because God's people eagerly want to live in his kingdom, some of them may flock to him. Some of them may entertain his messages. Jesus says, watch out. And notice this. And the time is near. This is predicting the coming of Christ. Alright, some guys show up and say, I'm the Christ returned. Others say, No, Jesus is coming any moment now. Be ready. But what did Jesus say? Do not follow them. Right? What he's saying is people are going to come and they're going to give you very convincing messages why Jesus was going to return in nineteen seventy four. Don't listen to what they say. So Christ warned us not to fall for fake news because we'll be susceptible to religious fake news. He also says we're susceptible to secular fake news. And we have this, there's this phrase in Christendom talking about people reading the Bible with one hand and the newspaper with the other, right? In other words, you're looking at world events, okay, and trying to line them up with scripture. Jesus is saying a lot of things are going to happen in the world. They're going to look really eschatological, They're going to look like really end-time events. Don't be fooled, is what he says. Let's look what he says in verse 10. I'll actually back it up to verse 8. He says, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. You see, people hear about war in the Middle East. They hear about nuclear weapons, and they think, this must be the end times. They get really scared that maybe they're going to get caught up in some kind of human warfare before Christ returns. And Jesus says, you're going to hear about all this stuff, all these world events that are going to be really scary. Don't fall for it. But he continues in verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And so he says, there going to be, there's going to be um, conflict between countries that'll scare you into thinking maybe the end times are here. But he goes on and says there are going to be natural disasters, too, verse 11. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places. And then he says there's going to be stuff in the heavens, too, at the end of verse 11, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Jesus is saying if you are looking for some sign of the end of the world, you're going to see nations at war with one another, and that's going to scare you. You're going to hear about earthquakes killing people and, and you know, hurricanes and... Um, all kinds of uh, natural disasters, and you're going to see weird stuff in the sky that's going to freak you out. All of it is fake news when it comes to predicting the coming of Christ. So when Jesus was asked, when, when should we expect these things? He said, don't let your desire to see my kingdom come fool you into false doctrine, false messages or being fearful about world events. The key thing to remember is at the very end of verse 9, the end will not come right away. Here Jesus is predicting that there is going to be some measure of time. He doesn't tell us how long, but some measure of time between His leaving this earth and His return. And He says, don't let things that scare people fool you. And I think this is what happened to Jack Van Impey, honestly. The things that he said about Ezekiel may be true. The problem isn't necessarily that his, his understanding of the passage was wrong. The problem was he was trying to line up world events in 1974 with what he was reading there. And Jesus said, don't do that. Don't let wars and pestilences and all this stuff scare you. Because the end will not come right away. And so we need to be on guard against false messages. And you know as well as I do that this didn't end in 1974, that over and over again, people have predicted the return of Christ. They've set a date and say, Jesus is going to come back on this date, or Y2K is going to be the coming of Christ, or whatever. Over and over again, false teachers have stepped up to try to put a date, a prediction, on the things that God's Word says are coming. And over and over again, they've been wrong. So as much as we want to see the return of Christ, as much as we want to see his kingdom established here on earth, we need to guard ourselves because we are susceptible to fake news, and Jesus says, do not fall for it. Now in verses 12 through 19, Jesus tells the disciples what they can expect. All right, remember I told you Jesus talked about what we should think about. This was verses uh, 8 through 12 or so. It was really talking about almost the time that all disciples are going to face. But in verse 12, he says, but before all this, so before you see these earthquakes and all this stuff that's scary, Jesus says something's going to happen before that. And what's going to happen is these immediate disciples are going to face persecution. Look at verse 12. He says, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. That's the banner statement. Now the verses that follow fill in the details. Jesus says, you disciples, my 12 followers, and those who come after you, before my kingdom comes, you're going to face a period of intense persecution. And what's that persecution going to look like? Well, verse 12 goes on and says, they will hand you over to synagogues. Even the religious communities where these men grew up learning the scriptures, the Old Testament, reading about these prophecies. Jesus says, because you're following me and preaching about me, Those synagogue rulers are going to haul you in there, and they're going to flog you. But verse 12 goes on and says, they will put you in prison too, and you will be brought before kings and governors. So in other words, he's saying you're going to face persecution from the religious people in Israel, and you're going to face political persecution too. Kings and governors refer to secular rulers, usually not Jewish. And Jesus says, both Jewish rulers and secular rulers will punish you. And notice why, at the end of verse 12, it says, and all on account of my name. It is going to be their faith faith in Jesus Christ and their public proclamation and call for people to believe in Jesus Christ that's going to make them outcasts in their own community, persecuted by their own people and persecuted by the secular governments that are over them. And so why did Jesus allow this persecution to happen? Well, there's a couple of purposes for it. I'll come to one of them later in this message. But an immediate one is described for us in verse 14, where it says, And so you will bear testimony to me. Why did Jesus allow the disciples to be persecuted? And by the way, this prediction was fulfilled in the book of Acts. You can find more than one instance in the book of Acts where the early apostles and followers of Jesus Christ faced problems in the synagogue and problems from secular rulers. But why? It was because Jesus was going to use these to open doors for testimony about him. Remember, Paul had the opportunity to witness to Felix and even to the emperor of Rome through the persecution that came his way. And Jesus, despite telling them and forecasting for them that there is going to be difficult days of persecution ahead, he also assures them of his help. Notice with me in verse 13, he says, and so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. He says, you don't need to sit down with your lawyer and get your story together and put together your legal defense team. Why? Why? Verse 15, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. The assurance of Christ was that although his followers were going to go through a period of intense persecution, he would be with them. They would testify for him and he would give them the literal words to say in order to testify to the power and grace and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he turns not only from the religious persecution they'll face and the political persecution they'll face to personal persecution that they face. Verse 16 says, "'You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends.'" And they will even put some of you to death. This describes a complete repudiation of people by their society, by their government, and even by their families and friends, even to the point of giving their lives for Jesus Christ. But again, Jesus steps in with the assurance that they aren't in this alone he says in verse 17, everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, how can this be? How can Jesus say in one moment, in verse 17, some of you will be put to death, and then later on in verse 18 say, but not a hair of your head will fall, will perish? The answer is because there are, there's a kind of preservation, there's a kind of protection that's much greater than your physical life. Yes, you may die for your faith, Jesus told his followers, but you won't perish for eternity. In verse 19, he says, stand firm and you will win life. That's the promise of Christ, that though his followers were going to face incredible persecution, you might say it's 360 degree persecution, it's coming from all sides, And even some of them would die as martyrs because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, you can rest assured, you don't have to worry about what to say. Because I'll be holding your eternal life in my hands. And I will guide you through the persecution in this life, either to the other side or into eternity. And you will live forever because you hold firmly to Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that the persecution Jesus foretells here was specifically fulfilled, again, in the book of Acts. And as as I said, we could go to texts in the book of Acts that describe every single one of the things Jesus describes here. But you know that principially persecution has not ended. And that there are brothers and sisters in Christ of ours and other nations who are facing the same kind of personal repudiation of their families, the same kind of political persecution, the same kind of religious repudiation, and even some who have given their lives for Jesus Christ. Part of waiting for the coming of Christ and waiting for His kingdom to come is living a life For Jesus Christ, that may bring persecution to you. Jesus isn't forecasting persecution for all believers. We know that there are there have been many uh, generations of believers in Christ who have faced no persecution. We are among them. So this isn't a prediction that all people will face all of these kinds of persecutions. The Bible tells us that part of following Christ means paying some kind of price. To follow him. And so rather than setting a date for when Jerusalem is going to fall, rather than indulging in the details of what God is doing in this world in ways that would specifically help the disciples see it happening, Jesus instead tells them there's going to be a long time actually before the things happen. And during that period of time, you better be prepared to witness for me And even suffer for me. Because that's the will of God for us in this age. When Jesus outlined for us and for his original disciples what God is doing in this world, he said, don't fall for the fake news out there because you want to see me come so much. Instead, understand that persecution is going to come in the life of the church. But if, you, if your faith is in me and you hold fast to me, God will keep you safe through it all, even into eternity. Finally, in verses 20 through 24, they finally get, Jesus finally starts to answer the question that they asked. Remember the question was, Jesus says, this temple is going to be destroyed. It's going to be completely decimated. And the disciples say, when is this going to happen? And what are the signs of, you, of, of these things? Jesus finally gets around to answering that question in verses 20 through 24. And what he says for them is this, Jerusalem will be destroyed. When Jesus answered the question about what God is doing in this world, he told them, expect for this great city and this beautiful temple to be utterly destroyed. And that, the description of that destruction is described for us in verses 20 through 24. Let's look there together. It says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. What is the sign that you should be looking for? If there's an army around the city, that's a pretty good sign. All right? And so Jesus tells them what to do when this happens. Verse 21, let those who are in Judah, Judea flee to the mountains. Now, please understand, Jerusalem is a city. It's located in a region, a tribal region, the tribe of Judah, and that tribal region is called Judea. What he's saying is, some of you may see this happening, and you're not actually in the city, but you are in Judea. He's saying, get out of town. All right? That's what what the verse 20 is saying, or verse 21. Let those who are in Judea, even if you're not in the city, but if you're in the region, flee to the mountains. Then he says, This: let those in the city get out. So when you see that army, if you happen to be in the city. Don't sit around and hope that God's deliverance is going to come or that your army will be able to beat back those armies. It's not going to happen. And so he says, get out. And so I think what's being described here is, this is the Roman army that Jesus is describing. I think if people came forward and said, I'm surrendering. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not going to fight you. Can I be out? You would be let out, right? Rome wanted to capture the city. And the more that they could um, remove potential combatants from the city, the better off they are. And so Jesus is saying, when you see this start to happen, leave the city as soon as you can. And then he says this, and let those in the country not enter the city. So if you're in one of the outlying areas or even like in Galilee or some other area, don't come down to Jerusalem. If you see that army out there, stay away. That's the message. Get out if you can, stay out if you are. That's the message to the disciples. Verse 22 tells us why. He says, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. Why did Jerusalem fall like this? It It fell like this because it was the judgment of God coming upon His people, who not only killed the prophets and worshiped other gods, but they rejected His Son, Jesus Christ, when He came and offered them life. Jesus is saying, you're going to see this massive, this this great city and this massive temple fall to the Romans because it'll be the judgment of God upon the city. And then he describes how bad it's going to get. This is why you should get out and stay out. Verse 23, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Even the most vulnerable people, if they stay in the city, are going to be badly mistreated and killed by the Romans. He goes on and says this, There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword, verse 24, and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. Everything Jesus describes in this passage happened in 70 AD. The Roman army surrounded the city of Jerusalem because there were uprisings against Rome. People tried to take back the kingdom of Israel, not through following Jesus Christ, but through their own military means. So the Romans surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They invaded it. They killed massive numbers of God's people. They deported the rest of them, and they destroyed the city. What Jesus is describing here, the destruction of the temple that he described in verse 6, And the decimation of Jerusalem that he describes in verses 20 through 24 already happened. It's been fulfilled. It happened in 70 AD. And so now what? Right, Israel was God's chosen people. They were the ones who were supposed to deliver the blessing of God to all the world. And Jesus is saying, you're going to get wiped out. What is God doing in the world? Why did God let this happen? Well, the answer is alluded to at the end in verse 24 when it says this, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What Jesus is telling us here is that the reason why Jerusalem will be destroyed is not only because of the judgment of God falling upon it, but also so that the gospel will be liberated from Judaism and from Israel and preached around the world to all kinds of people, not Jewish people. That's what Jesus is alluding to at the end when he says, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so when we ask the question, what in the world is God doing? Part of the answer is this. God is saving people around the world apart from national Israel. All of this stuff that I have covered, that Jesus predicted for his first disciples, We're describing the will of God to extract Christianity from the Judaistic um, crib that it came in. Uh, Israel was important for delivering the Messiah to the world and for beginning the church. But what we find out when we read the book of Acts is that God saved a bunch of people on the day of Pentecost, right? And they all stayed there in Jerusalem. Jesus told them, you need to go out to Judea and to Samaria and to the other parts of the world, but people wanted to stick around in Jerusalem because the fellowship was so good there. And so God brought in persecution to send some of them out. But even with that, there was all this tension about, do, do um, believers in Christ now have to obey the law? There were a lot of tensions in the New Testament about how much Judaism Christianity should have. Jesus brought this um, this Judgment to Jerusalem, not only because of their unbelief, but also to extract from Judaism Christianity. And that's all alluded to in this phrase until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus here is telling the disciples what's going to happen. And that is, after Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, most of the believers in Christ are going to be Gentiles. And God is going to call for himself a people. Not from Jerusalem itself, not from Israel itself necessarily, but from people all over the world. Now, hear what I'm saying here. I'm not saying it's impossible for Jewish people to be saved. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I'm also not saying that God is done with Israel because He's not. The Bible says that God has a future for Israel, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But what God wanted to happen and what needed to happen was was Christianity needed to be extracted from Judaism. Why? Because Christ fulfilled everything that Judaism needed to set forth. And in order for the gospel to spread around the world, it needed to be extracted from, from, uh, from Israel, from national Israel. And yes, God is saving Jewish people today, but national Israel is no longer, at this moment, a part of God's plan for the world. God's coming back to it. But right now, it is not part of God's plan. Instead, God's plan is to save people around the world apart from national Israel. Let me develop this a little bit. First of all, God has set aside Israel as a nation so that Gentiles like us can be part of the kingdom. That's what I've already already, kind of swerved into this point, but that's what verse 24b is saying. It's saying, until the times of the Gentiles come. This is all teaching us, again, that God is done with national Israel for the moment. The gospel is spreading outside of that. But that doesn't mean God is finished with Israel. God made promises all throughout the Old Testament to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. Some Christians believe that they've been fulfilled metaphorically or spiritually in us, the church. But I don't believe that to be the case. Notice at the end of verse 24, Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What does that mean? Until means usually means there's going to be a resumption at some point. And I believe that's what all of Scripture is teaching us, that while God is not working through national Israel at the moment, He still has a plan for national Israel, a plan to keep His promises to national Israel. And so the next point is this, God's promises for Israel as a nation still await fulfillment. And the Scriptures teach this again and again and again. Let me show you, Romans chapter 9 through 11 give us a great deal of detail about the relationship of Christianity to Israel and the fact that God still has a future for the people of Israel. Let me just dip into part of that section to show you that that God still has a will for Israel, still has promises to keep. In Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 12, and then verses 25 and 26, the scripture says, again, I ask, did they, that's the, the nation of Israel, stumble? So as to fall beyond recovery, not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles. The very thing Jesus is saying in this passage when he talks about the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. But verse 12 says this, But if their transgressions, that's the nation of Israel's transgression, means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? You get that, the full inclusion? It shows you God still has a plan for Israel. Then in verse 25 it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, and that in part means not every Jewish person rejects the gospel. God saves some But nationally speaking, there is no coming to Christ as Messiah. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's what we're living through right now. We're living in this age that Jesus calls the times of the Gentiles. And the gospel is spreading around the world so that God can save his people and bring them into the kingdom when it comes. But verse 24, or verse 26 here in Romans 11 says, and in this way, and I don't like that translation, it's literally and so, all Israel will be saved. Paul is saying, listen, Israel is being set aside nationally for the moment while Gentiles are being saved, but God still is going to save his people Israel. There still is a plan for national Israel. It just awaits the future fulfillment. So what is God doing in this world? God is saving Gentiles. He's done with Israel for the moment, but he'll come back to them in the future. What does all this mean for us? I told you that most of this stuff has been fulfilled, it's past. What it means for us is this. God's will for us and God's command to us is to spread the gospel, not to speculate about when Jesus will return. See, this is the, this is the temptation that we have. The temptation that we have is to see The end times events predicted in Scripture in our times. I've met so many Christians who want to point to news events or problems in the world or stuff in the sky to say, see, we're living in the last days. Jesus is coming. Eventually, that's going to be true, and maybe it will happen in our lifetime. The Scriptures never tell us to try to figure out and predict when Christ is coming. They tell us to be spreading the gospel message. And I told you already that this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 21 is part of the Olivet Discourse, and that discourse is recorded in the other Gospels in Matthew and Mark as well. In Matthew's Gospel, I told you, was a more detailed presentation than what Luke gave us. And in that presentation, here's what Jesus said. He said something important. He alluded to it here in Luke when he talked about the chimes of the Gentiles being fulfilled but he gave more detail in Matthew's gospel. So let me show you this. Matthew 24, 14, in the Olivet Discourse, the same teaching Jesus gave here, just more detail recorded in Matthew, Jesus said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When will the end come? It'll come when God has saved every Gentile and Jewish person that he's chosen to save in this church age, when he's done saving people, then the end will come, and not until then. The reason why we are waiting for the coming of Christ is that we have work to do. And that work is to give the gospel message. Here at home, and in countries where people don't know about Christ, and some of which where people have never heard of the atoning work of Christ on the cross for them. So this takes us right straight to the Great Commission, the last thing Jesus said, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What are we doing? What is God doing in this world? He's saving people. Are you in on it? Are we part of what God's doing in this world? Are we participating with the will of God by being obedient to taking the gospel message? Are you looking for opportunities in your life, in your workplace, among people you know, to talk about the saving power of Jesus Christ? Have you ever considered whether the Lord might want you to go somewhere else in the world to plant a church and spread the gospel message? This is the will of God for us. It's not to look for the signs. It's to spread the message about the Son. What is God doing in this world God is saving people around the world apart from national Israel. This is the gospel message. Let's look for ways this week to share it. Let's consider how we can be more active in what God is doing in this world.